Thanks for checking out the Ascent Church podcast. Our mission is to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. We hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Thomas Lane. Series we're in is called, Well, That's Awkward. It's awkward. Going to church can be awkward. Looking at the Bible, looking at scripture can be awkward. What we've done the last four weeks is we've looked at, in my opinion, the most, the most four awkward Bible stories in all of scripture. Right on. In all 66 books, we're looking at them and we're talking about them because we, we really can't ignore them. Sometimes we just kind of push them to the side or we don't know what to deal with them. So we're looking at them head on and we're talking about them. Somebody say, well, that's awkward. The one we're talking about today, you've probably heard. If you grew up in church, you probably heard it. If you've never been to church in your whole life, you've probably also heard of it. Who's ever heard of Noah's Ark? Anybody? Pretty much everybody. If you've been to church, if you haven't, you've probably heard of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark is awkward. You know why? Because Noah's Ark is a store we put in nurseries. We have kids' books. Noah's Ark is about a flood that destroys all of humanity. Okay, and all the animals. You know, it's kind of an awkward story to be putting in nurseries. Okay, I dare you to find a church without a little picture of the little rainbow and the dove. You know what I'm saying? In the nursery, we got the books. It's cute. It's cute, but it's kind of a creepy thing. Like, look, look at this picture. This is a Noah's Ark book. My son has several. This is Noah's Ark book. Noah's Ark. You know why they're smiling? Because they're the only ones who made it. (laughs) My son would be like, Daddy, I love the aminals. I love the aminals. And I'm thinking, son, these are the sole survivors. Like, you don't know what it's about. They don't tell you about the rest of the cute little zebras and giraffes. Um, It's awkward. It's awkward, but we just love to tell it to kids. So that's what we're talking about today. All about it. It's awkward. It's really, really awkward. So here's what's happening. Okay. May I have your permission to be awkward? It's going to be a little awkward. So I'm just going to tell you. So the, the world was just in a bad spot. There's, it's full of death and racism and deceit and oppression. The world is in bad shape. And you know what God does? Hey, what do you do when your phone stops working? Reset. What do you do when your modem isn't working? Reset. God hit the reset button, okay? God's like, ah, do over. I'm gonna reset things. And that's what he did. Look at the scripture. This is Genesis 7. It says, the Lord then said to Noah, he says, go into the ark, You and your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation. You see, God right here, he's not saying, it says in this generation. Meaning compared to everyone else, you're righteous. God's kind of grading on a curve a little bit here. Noah Noah stood out a bit. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal. Okay, a male and its mate. And one pair of every unclean animal, a male and its mate. And also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Cool. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wipe out from the face of the earth every living creature I've made. And Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Somebody say, well, that's awkward. Somebody say, not suitable for children. It's not suitable for children. This should be one of those stories like you tell one of them when they're older. But we just love to just shove it in their face early, okay? Um, It's not suitable for children. Let's pray. And then we'll dig in to see what's actually going on here. All right, let's bow our heads and close our eyes across the room. God, I ask you, um, I ask you for grace today. Um, God, in teaching this difficult concept, I ask you that everyone keeps an open mind um, and is open to hearing new things, maybe hearing a different perspective. And if anyone here is new to church or isn't a church person, so to speak, God, help them feel right at home. Help them feel comfortable. Help them feel, um, you know, that they can just enjoy. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a donut. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time in your son's good name. We pray, amen. Amen, amen. Y'all ready to jump in? 
So before we begin, we need to talk about genre. Somebody say genre. It sounds fancy. You sound French when you say genre. You sound, you sound like you're from the country club, genre. When we start reading anything, you have to look at its genre. All right, if you're looking at your phone, depending the genre, it says so much about how you ingest the content. Meaning this, if you're scrolling on Facebook, right on, you may see someone complain about something. You're like, ah, it's just on Facebook, whatever. Okay, there's different kinds of genres on your phone. Another genre is Instagram. You're probably going to find there a picture of someone's food. That's just what you find on Instagram. You could come across a blog. That's a different genre. Um, there's a thing called a meme. That's a new genre we came up with. We came up with, um, it's, it's news, but it's satire. Have you ever heard of the onion? It's all, it's news, but it's, it's not real. And I've seen, some people have shown me onion articles and said, can you believe this? I'm like, it's a joke. It's a joke. There's Christian version of the onion called, I think it's called the Babylonian bee. Same thing. It's not real. It's a joke. It's a joke. And I've seen Christians retweet stuff and say, I can't believe this person's doing that. And you just got to be like, it's a satire. It's not real. Genre is very, very important. Some, some is historical reporting. Sometimes even the news. If you're watching the news, you got to know what, what, what genre is this? Which way does this lean? Because sometimes if there's a tragedy or news or something big happens, you know, two networks will report on it very differently. If it furthers the rights agenda, sometimes on the rights website, it's front and center. But if you go to the other one, it's silent and vice versa. Sometimes we only talk about what really furthers our agenda or cements our own position. Genre is very, 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 very important. And if you are from a different culture, viewing a piece of art or literature from another culture, okay, you would need to know the genre before you could read it, before you could engage with it, before you really knew what was going on. Are you with me on that? And the challenge of reading the Bible is that none of us are from its culture. Unless you're a 2,000 to 3,000-year-old Middle Eastern person, then you fit right in. But I don't think, it doesn't look like any of you are right on that I can see at least. So we have to look at the genre. It's so confusing. So if someone came from a different culture into ours and started watching movies, reading books, we'd have to tell them a few things. We'd have to tell them about the genre of the you know, material in which they were engaging. Let's say I had a friend coming from a different country. He didn't know anything about America or American culture. And I wanted to, to train him, to teach him. And I sat him down with this show. Y'all know this show? You know this show? Yes. But imagine I sat my friend down and said, watch all nine seasons of whatever of this. And this, sir, um, this is a training video. This is how to behave in the American workplace. Go watch nine seasons. That would affect his behavior in a negative way. Genres, everything. What if I sat him down and said, hey, this is someone's home movie. Someone kind of recorded them at work for like 10 years and I want to share with you and I had them watch that. That would be a little depressing. Bring you down a little bit. But what if I said, hey, watch the show. It's my favorite. It's funny. It's a satire. It's a joke. It's comedy. It's not real. He would say, oh, and he would fully enjoy it for what it was intended to be. Because it's not real. It's not real. It's office. Okay. If he thought it was a training, it would be a big, big issue. Some of y'all think Noah's Ark is just a fairy tale. Some of you are like, oh, it's not real. It's a fairy tale. Well, I want to ask you, what is it? What is the genre? Is it historical reporting? Is it a play? Is it a song? Is it a parable? Did it really happen? What, what is it? What is it? Is it a genre we don't have anymore because 3,000 years ago they had this genre and we don't have it, so we don't know what to call it? What is it? I took a class in college called Religion and Science, and it was as boring as it sounds. Okay? Just fall asleep on me, why don't you? 
But part of the class, was, now I went to a public school, not a Christian school, but for six weeks, over and over, we talked about Noah's Ark. What's the historical evidence? What's the cultural evidence? What's the geological evidence? Is there, is there any chemistry? Is there any science? Is there any proof? And the idea is this, and some of y'all believe this fully. The idea was that if we can disprove Noah's Ark, okay, we can disprove the whole Bible. If we can disprove these like two little chapters in the beginning that you've probably never read, you just heard about it. If we can do that, we can disprove all of it. We can just write it off. And some of y'all are in that boat now. I shouldn't say in that boat now. It's a poor choice of words. Some of y'all are in that camp now, okay? Some of you have friends like that. When Christianity comes up, they say, Noah's Ark, you believe that? You, you honestly, you believe, you think that's real. God fit all the animals in a little boat and saved them. Do you honestly believe that? Well, what no one mentioned to me in that class, which I wish they had, was that Noah's Ark is a poem. I didn't know that. It's a chiasm. Someone say chiasm. Some parts of the Bible are historical reporting. Some parts are written in poetry. It's a poem. It's a poem. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but you need to realize it's a poem. Look, look at what a chiasm is. This is how the middle chunk of Noah's Ark is written. Every part corresponds to a different part. A, seven days waiting for the flood. The A down at the bottom, seven days waiting for the water to subside. It's a slow buildup. And then it's a exact reverse all the way down. Now in your Bible, it's just a chunk. You don't see that. You don't see the verses, you don't see the, you don't see the poetry, you just see a block of words. But the reality is, it's a poem. It's a poem. It's a poem. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but you need to realize it's a poem. You need to realize it's a chiasm. You need to realize it is a poem. If someone starts coming at you and saying, well, well, I can't believe in that. How's that? You need to say, hold on, man. Did you do your research? Did you know it's a poem? I guarantee they don't know that. But like, well, I, I, like challenge them. Be like, look, research it yourself. Look into it. It is a poem. But I don't want the geological evidence to hang you up. I don't know the answer. I don't know. Is it a local flood? Was it the whole world, meaning their whole region, the whole known world was flooded? I don't know. Was it, was it universal? God's able to do it. I'm not saying he isn't. Absolutely he could. How universal was it? Did kangaroos hop to the ocean and then swim to the Middle East? And get on a boat and then wait, wait it out and then swim back. How did koalas get on the boat? I don't know. Okay. But y'all, that's not the point. If you were asking how questions instead of why questions, you've missed the point. It's a poem. Don't treat it like a textbook. Don't miss the point of what God is trying to say and what he's trying to communicate because maybe the details, because they're maybe a little over our head. We don't quite understand them. You've missed it. Now, some of the Bible clearly is historical reporting. But it's not in a chiasm, it's not in rhyme, it's not in metered verse. Look at what Luke, look how Luke writes. Luke says, I'm writing history. And he tells you all over the place. Luke write, wrote about Jesus' life and death. Luke says this, this is for you history nerds. Do we have any history channel nerds? Bunch of nerds watching ancient aliens. I know you're out there. I'm not mad at you. I'm just calling out the history nerds. You would have loved Luke. He said this, he said, Notice the history. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. The nerds are drooling. The history nerds love this. Look at all the history. Luke is saying, this is history. Some of y'all are like, I, I I just love the Bible. I don't believe it's true, but you know what? It just inspires me. It just gives me these feelings. There's two options. It's either real, okay, it's fact, 
or it's a lie, it's nonsense. There's no middle road. Luke doesn't give us that option. He says, look, this is actually what happened. Here are my sources. Here's the date. Here's the time. It's like saying so-and-so was a president. So-and-so was a governor. This is the year. This is the historical time. This is the place. He's given us all the details that he is writing history. He's citing sources. Luke is citing sources. But when we come to Noah's Ark, you need to realize it's a poem. It's a chiasm. Maybe it's historical. Maybe it happened. God is certainly able, okay? Maybe it was a local flood. Maybe it's a story. Maybe it's a play or work of art. I don't know. But if you are so focused on the how, how did this happen? As opposed to the why, you've completely missed the point. If I wrote an autobiography and each chapter started with a little poem, and then I got to the details, you wouldn't go to the poem and be like, well, how, wait, how, well, how did that happen? You know better. It's a poem, okay? That's not why it's there. Once again, don't go home and say, pastor said Noah's Ark didn't happen. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But you need to realize it's a poem. If that's a hang up for you, I want you to just drop that because it's a poem. It's a poem. Have I said it's a poem? I did. Okay. What's the point of poetry? It's to get something across, to get something across that's a little difficult to say otherwise, not to explain scientific facts. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't have value. It absolutely has value, but you have to read them differently. So what's the point of Noah's Ark? What's the point? The point is this. It's to show that God is a God of love. Somebody say love. And he's a God of justice. Somebody say justice. Has anyone ever needed a second chance? Has anyone needed a second chance today? Some of y'all got up, it's 1030. You're like, I'm already on chance like six, okay? Each and every day, God offers us renewal, second chances, grace. That is what Noah's Ark is about. God is not a God. He's not a one and done kind of God. He's a God who gives us grace, who overflows us with his love, but he's also a God of justice. That is the point. That is the point. So point one, did it happen? Tension two, let's talk about this. Noah is awkward because justice is awkward. Somebody say justice. See, our culture, we don't like to talk about that. If I went to you and in a coffee shop or a bar or a baseball game or whatever, and I said, hey, do you believe in God? Our common belief in God is like this. God is just a God of love. He just loves everybody. He just goes, he just loves everybody equally. He loves everyone. You may sound like this. Uh, I believe in a God of love. I just feel like he loves me. He just loves me. He loves the earth. He just loves, he just loves everyone. He just loves me. But if you start saying, okay, is he a God of justice? Is he a God of judgment? No, 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 no. Don't give me any of that justice, judgment stuff. We don't like that. We don't like to talk about that. We don't like to talk about that at all. We like to say, oh, he just loves. He just forgives. Let me give you a weird illustration. I'm told in Singapore, I've never been, that chewing gum is illegal. It's illegal. You can't chew it. You can't buy it. There's a fine. I don't know what it is, but there's a fine, I'm told. And the reason they do that is because they don't want gum on the streets. Y'all, some of you probably have gum on your chairs. Okay, it's gross. We're in a middle school though. Okay, don't look now. It'll mess you up. Okay, but you may have gum on your chairs, gum in the bathroom. Um, Singapore said we ain't playing that. There's a fine. It's illegal to chew gum. What does that show that they value? They value cleanliness. They value cleanliness. Let's say me and you went on a vacation. And we went to a foreign land and we, we landed the plane in the foreign land. And we've never been there before, but our tour guide says, let me tell you something about this place. And we said, yeah, let's go. And he said, um, this is kind of a weird culture, but the punishment for murder here is $20. It's $20. It's not a life sentence. There's not even a trial. It's just a, just write a check, slide a bill, $20. What would that tell you of that culture's value for human life? It's not very high. 
You can't say, ah, 20 bucks ought to cover it and say, you know what? They really value humanity. They value human life. They are obsessed with the infinite worth of the individual. No, no, no. They, they couldn't make that argument. Imagine if we had a king. He had a, a crown, a robe, a throne. He, our king may kind of look like this a little bit. Awkward. Awkward. Maybe that's our king. And maybe, follow me, this is weird, but maybe my friend got murdered, killed. And there was no trial. No one was thrown in jail. There was no nothing. And I went to this king and I said, king, I want you to do something about this. This isn't right. Um, his life was valuable. And the king said, it's not a big deal. I forgive him. I just love everybody. It's, it's fine. Who cares? That is not justice. That is not justice. Something inside us just gets chewed up when something like this happens because it's not justice. Do y'all know this goon? Not this goon, this other goon. Do you, do you know this goon? This individual, some of y'all said yes with such contempt. It gets my point across. This individual was caught raping someone behind a dumpster in an alley. He was caught, thank God, and he was brought to trial, but he didn't have a long punishment. Everyone was upset. They said he deserved a bigger, bigger punishment. He was in prison a few months. You know what? You know what you're demanding? You're demanding justice. You're saying that girl's life is too valuable. All women are too valuable. What does that say to women? If you say, oh, just a slap on the wrist. What does that say about the value of human life? What does it say to other women out there? What does it say to other people who want to commit that crime? What does it say to them? It says a lot about how we value humanity. People were outraged. Some of y'all are still mad. And that's because you want justice. I came to tell you our society has no idea what it wants. We have no idea what we want. We said, we don't want a God of justice and judgment. We want a God of love. But when it comes to stuff like that, and we're like, get them. Justice, judgment. No, no, no. That needs to be paid. We don't know what we want. You're demanding justice. You're demanding justice. You're putting your foot down and saying, God, you have to do something about this. We really do want that. What if the judge had said, you're free. No big deal. No punishment. You can just go. You know how much outrage there would be. You see, ironically, we try to make God more loving by taking away all ideas of judgment and justice and condemnation. We try to make him more loving by taking away the idea of judgment. But ironically, we don't make him more loving, we make him less. We make him less loving. He is less of a loving God when there's no idea of justice to him. Because just like these fictional things, I'm telling you, there's no value for human life. If you just got beat up, if you just got mugged or raped or abused and you went to your father, your earthly father, and you said, dad, I just went through hell. And your dad said, not a big deal. That's fine. What's the big deal? How would that make you feel? How would that make you feel? You see, you want an earthly father who cares about justice. We want a heavenly father who does too. A father who would ignore it isn't a loving father. A God who ignores injustice is not worthy of worship. You shouldn't be able to lift your, God, your hands to a God who says, you know what? Rape is fine. Murder, no big deal. Genocide, it's fine. Racism, cool. Yeah, it's not, it's not a big deal. You shouldn't be okay worshiping a God like that. We have to have a God of love and of justice. I love football games. Anyone love college football? Yes, for you guys in the house, love college football. I've been, so I went to Tech and I've been to Virginia Tech games from Miami up to Boston, all up and down the East Coast, all over. I love it. It's so much fun. And my dad and I frequently go to games. My dad isn't here now, but he probably greeted you on the way in. He's awesome. If you've been coming here for a while, you've probably met him by now. But 
my dad and I will sometimes go to games. And sometimes we don't go to home games, we go to away games. And at an away game, sometimes you're with, you're with other Virginia Tech fans, but sometimes you're with the enemy. Okay? And it's more fun when you're with your team than with the enemy because there's a lot of smack talk. There's a whole, you know, there's a lot of smack talk. And one game in particular, we got tickets to, we drove to the game and we, we went and we were there 15, 20 minutes early, sitting around, hanging out. And we're, we're sitting there and we were in the midst of the enemy. We're wearing maroon and orange and nobody else was, okay? And we didn't realize, but we were in the midst of some season ticket holders. They were there every, every week getting pounded on by another team. That's not relevant. Um, but they were there every week. And the guy sitting in front of me, he had had a few Chardonnays or a few PBRs or a few Bud Light Limes. Um, I don't know what he had. He had something. He, he turned around. I'm sitting. He turned around and looked at me and said, who the beep are you? Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a giant dude, but I'm not a pipsqueak either. So something in me is like, let's go, baby. Let's go. Come on, son. This preacher is about to throw down right now. But before I could even think that, before I could even enunciate, before I could even respond, you know what happened? My dad was up next to me. And so I'm thinking, great, we're all going to be thrown in jail. We ain't even going to see the game. We drove to a different town just to all be in jail. We're going to miss the game. I wonder if you can still, if we could still sell our tickets. I'm trying to process through all this. That's the kind of father you want. That's the kind of father you want. You said, no, I don't want who, who's into justice. You know, you certainly do. You want the kind of father, the kind of God, when there's injustice, when you've been wrong, when something happens, he's going to, he's going to stand up. He's going to look that thing in the eye and say, I'm not okay with that. That's the kind of God you want. You don't want a God who just says, I love everybody. Everything's amazing. No, 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 no. You want a God who takes a stand. You want a God who puts his foot down, but we just haven't, that hasn't clicked in our brains yet. That hasn't clicked in our brains. Just hasn't gone all the way. You see, our society is so confused. We're so confused. But you need to realize you were made in God's image. You need to realize you are lovely. You are awesome. You are wonderful. God took his time on you. You have infinite worth. You need to realize you are an eternal being made in God's image. But you need to also realize this, that a crime, a sin, an action against an eternal being has eternal consequences. And God is the same way. God is eternal too. A crime, a sin, an action, anything against God who is an eternal being has to have eternal consequences. I'm talking big things like murder and genocide. No, no, no. It's not always that big. Because some of y'all are like, yeah, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not separated from God. I haven't, I haven't killed anyone, you know, whatever. I'm doing pretty good. But the problem is the scripture says that we have all sinned. Somebody say all. We've all sinned. Me, you, everybody. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't love our neighbors like we should. We don't love our loved ones like we should. We don't love our God like we should. We don't love ourselves like we should. You didn't realize we're supposed to do that. You're supposed to love yourself. A lot of us fail in one or all of these areas. We all sin. And sin has to be dealt with. It just can't be ignored. If he ignored it, he would not be a God of justice. If he ignored it, he would not be worthy of worship. If he ignored it, he would be saying human life is not valuable at all. And he's saying, no, no, no. It's so valuable that any crime against any person has to have consequences. It has to. It has to. Point three or tension three. What is Noah's Ark about? What's the point? What's he talking about? Because I got a feeling some of y'all are thinking it's not about the cuddly animals going on the boat. Okay, what exactly is going on here? Follow with me. Verse eight. 
Then God said to Noah and his sons with them. This is after the flood, water's going down. Okay. He says, God says this. He says, I will now establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. Covenant relationships are always saving relationships. God doesn't come to someone and make a covenant to hurt them, to knock them down, to bash them. It's always to save them. So God comes to them and says, look, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you. Could you imagine how Noah felt? His family's left. Nobody's also, nobody else is around. Could you imagine talking to God after that? You'd be shaking in your boots. You'd be constantly afraid. What am I going to do to drop the ball? Am I good enough? Do I measure up? Um, when am I going? I'm not that perfect. I, 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 I screw up all the time. When is that? When am I going to end up like those people? Noah must have been thinking about that. But God says, look, I'm going to make a covenant with you. God's saying, I'm coming up with a plan. I'm coming up with a strategy. I'm coming up with a way to save you, to save you from this judgment you deserve, to save you from the fate we all deserve. Verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. Here's the sign. Here's, to, here's what to look for. Here's what you're gonna, what you gotta know. I have set my rainbow. Rainbow. Somebody say Rainbow. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. That's odd. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. What on earth is happening? What exactly is going down here? You see, God says, I come to save you. Never again will judgment wipe everything out. God says, I'm going to find another way. And he gives us a clue. He said, this is the sign. He said, look for dark clouds. Look for my rainbow. It's an odd thing to say. You see, the word that we have here is rainbow. If you look to the Hebrew, it doesn't say rainbow. Of course, obviously it's talking about a rainbow, but God doesn't say I hang up my rainbow. He actually says, I hang up my bow. Somebody say bow. Do we have any bow hunters in the house? Nobody. One, yes. Okay. Someone was putting his hand up. That's fine. That's all good. God says, I'm gonna hang up my bow. Meaning a war bow. Meaning a bow and arrow bow. God says, I'm gonna hang up my bow. Meaning this, that I just shot my bow at you. I just pulled back my bow and shot an an arrow of my wrath at humanity. And God says, you know what? I just said, I'm not gonna do that again. I'm hanging it up. I'm hanging it up. And he said, every time you see a rainbow, let's see that picture again. You can see how it's hanging up. But notice something interesting. The way that it's hung up is not the way you think it would be hung up. The way it's hung up, the the bow is pointing up. It's aiming up. God says, I'm going to hang my bow, but the bow is pointing at him. You think it would be pointing at us. You think it would say, I'm watching you. You suckers mess up one more time. Don't make me come down there. If I need to, I'll just let my fingers go. I'm going I'm to get you again. No, no, no. He didn't say that. He's showing us over and over and over. Every time there's a rainbow, it's pointed up. God's pointing the bow at himself. I mean, it's almost like holding a gun to himself. He's aiming this weapon of war and wrath at himself. He's saying this, look, I'm a God of love, but I'm also a God of justice. Sin has to be dealt. It has to be paid for. God is saying, I'm going to find a way to destroy sin without destroying my children whose hearts are filled with sin. Because that's the challenge. That is the tension here. So what is God saying? He's going to shoot the bow at himself? Judgment is going to come upon himself? God found the only way to destroy sin 
without destroying us, his children, whose hearts are filled with sin. Notice what he said. He talked about clouds coming and a bow, meaning look for the clouds, look for an act of judgment, an act of wrath. This bow, thousands of years later, thousands of years later, this actually happened. Jesus Christ, who is the, is the incarnate son of God, he lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death. He died as a sacrifice for me and for you. Jesus Christ took the full wrath of God's anger against sin on our behalf on the cross. And you need to realize this. We're looking for darkness. We're looking for the bow. You need to look at this because darkness came down. Matthew 27, 45, God brought darkness and he brought it in the middle of the day. It says from noon until three in the afternoon, as Jesus hung on the cross, darkness came over all the land. When Jesus Christ hung there, you need to realize God drew the bow and he let it go. Jesus Christ took the hit of God's justice so that we can feel God's love. You've got to understand that is what happened. It wasn't aimed at us. It was aimed at his son. Jesus paid it all. Jesus Christ took the punishment of sin, which is death. Noah's pointing to something. Jesus Christ is the true Noah. He's the true perfect Noah who saves us from the flood. Jesus Christ is the one who saves us from the flood waters, who saves us from God's wrath. Jesus Christ took the flood of God's wrath onto himself when he was on the cross. That's what he did. That's what he did. Do you know how much he loves you? Like you're thinking, okay, so what? I just want you to realize, do you know how much God loves you? God said from the beginning, you saw, you read it in Genesis. He said, look, I'm gonna find a way and the bow is not aimed at you. You're not gonna get the wrath. I'm gonna aim it up at myself. And when Jesus Christ hung up on that cross, God let his finger go. The full wrath of God's anger for my sin and your sin came down upon Jesus Christ's head. He suffered in ways that we could never fathom or we could never imagine. He took that punishment for me and for you. And do you realize how much he loves you? If God is a God who just loves everything and he just, he just loves everybody. He just loves everybody. He just loves everybody. And I would ask you, hey, what does it cost your God to love you? You'd say, well, nothing. He just, he just, he just loves everybody. But what if this is true? What if it took an infinite cost in order to buy you? Because you're that valuable. You're that precious. You're that prized. You're that valuable in God's sight. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. What did it cost him? It cost him everything. It cost Jesus everything because you are valuable. You are cherished. You are loved. Don't you dare go through life feeling like a nobody. Don't you dare believe that lie that you don't have any value or worth. Don't you dare go through life with your head down thinking nobody cares about me. God doesn't have a plan for my life. He doesn't care for me. He loves you so much. The creator of the universe passionately loves you. And he went all the way. When you find yourself in the midst of the storm or perhaps nearing the end of one, questioning whether or not God loves you, I came to announce, you don't have to guess. You don't have to play, does he love me? Does he not? You don't have to guess because he showed you. And every single time there's a storm, you can look up and you can see that rainbow. You can see God's bow of war hung up saying, look, I'm not gonna bring judgment on you. You're running around fearful, afraid. Oh, God's gonna crush me. God's gonna squash me. God's mad at me. No, no, no. He said, look, I've hung up my bow. I fired it at my son on your behalf and I hung it up. 
There's no need to be afraid. There's no need to fear. Look at that rainbow. Remember what he's showing us. It means something. It's a war bow. When you see that rainbow, I want you to think of the cross. That is where Jesus Christ, that's where the arrow pierced him. That's where it pierced his heart so that we may have access to the Father. I hope you never look at this story the same way again. I hope you never look at a storm the same way again. I hope you never look at a rainbow the same way again. He's the God of love, but he is also a God of justice. And Jesus paid it all. Let us pray. We believe Jesus is on the move in Virginia Beach. And if you would like to learn more about who we are and our mission, follow us at Ascent Church 757. If you would like to give to further our mission to impact this city and beyond, you can do so at our website, ascentchurch.net. We hope to see you soon.